Well, hello and welcome to you today as you tune in. This is Minister Kay Mormer with Covenant Truth Ministries. And today I'd like for us to look at Lesson 11 of our Bridge to Excellence study of the book of Hebrews. I apologize, it has been a quite some time since I've been able to tape these additional messages. There's been quite a bit that has been transpiring over the last month or so, and uh, so I'm delighted to now be back with you in this book study, and I hope that we can conclude this book before too long, and we won't have quite so many delays the next time. But I am delighted that you have tuned in in our Bridge to Excellence Hebrews study. Today, I'd like for us to consider in Lesson 11, the passage beginning in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, through Hebrews 9, verse 15. And I want us to, first of all, read this passage, and then we will break it down and discuss it as we continue seeing that Jesus is the superior one, the more excellent in every way. And Hebrews is designed to show us that. It is the bridge between the Old Testament and the New. And it is pointing out the greater about Jesus, the superior, the more excellent that he is. So beginning in verse 13 of chapter 8 of Hebrews, let's begin the reading. And I will continue through chapter 9, verse 15. In that he says, a new covenant... He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with food and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances, imposed until the time of reformation. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. 
that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. I want us to consider these verses today as we see Hebrews as the book that compares and contrasts because what the author of Hebrews is doing is he is showing the old and the first and the things that were before Christ, but he's showing the superiority of Jesus in regard to each and every one of those points. So let's look at this. In the last episode, we saw how Jesus brought in the better covenant and that the old one, the Mosaic covenant, was passing away and becoming obsolete. In chapter 9, he's now going to contrast these two covenants to show the superior or the better. So to do that, we're going to look at the various details and comparisons that he gives us. First of all, he starts with the earthly tabernacle and its layout. There was an earthly tabernacle. You can read all about it in the books of Moses. And it talks about how it was built. God had specific descriptions about how it had to be built and erected. He had a layout that was on that. And there was a courtyard and then in the temple proper, it consisted of two basic rooms. There was the holy place and there was the holiest of all or the most holy place. And that was where the presence of God would dwell when he would come and tabernacle with them the in the place where the Ark of the Covenant was. So he's contrasting the earthly tabernacle and its layout versus the heavenly one. Then he's contrasting the service in the earthly tabernacle and its limitations. So let's look at that. He speaks of the priests and how they were ministers of that sanctuary daily in the holy place. They could only minister in the courtyard and in the holy place but they, the priests themselves could not go in behind the veil and minister in the most holy place or the holiest of all. They were limited. They were limited and kept out from the secret place, from God's dwelling place, where the mystery behind the veil dwelt. It was called the most holy place. 
that place was only available to the high priest, no one else, and he could not go in just any time he wanted to. He could only go in one day per year. It is the most solemn of all the Jewish feasts, and it is called the Day of Atonement. Only then, with the proper prescribed order, could he enter the most holy place. There was a prescribed order for the clothes he had to wear, the white linen garments, not the high priestly beautiful golden garments. There was prescribed blood that he had to take in there. And it was blood of bulls and goats on that particular day. I encourage you to look at Leviticus chapter 16, and it gives every specific detail of the Day of Atonement, what was required, and why it was to be done. Then the author of Hebrews is telling us that it was not yet manifest with the veil being removed. The veil was not removed during the first tabernacle's operation. The first tabernacle and its services were symbolic. They pointed to as a type or shadow of the greater to come. I want to look at Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 17, Paul is writing and he says this. He's talking about the different things from the Old Testament, from the shadows of the days of the tabernacle and the temple, the specific food and drink regarding festival, new moon, Sabbaths. And he says, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. The greater thing is Christ. It's interesting because this word used as symbolic in verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 9 is the same word as parable. So it's something that would help us understand the greater truth by considering its shadow, by considering its symbolism. Notice how the author of Hebrews tells us that this first tabernacle and the blood of the bulls and goats was unable to cleanse sin inside. It was unable to cleanse the conscience. It could temporarily cover the sin because God had promised that when they would obey and come with their sacrifices and their offerings and fulfill his prescribed order. But it did not cleanse anyone from any guilt or shame in their conscience over their sins. That was not possible. This covering was only temporary. This was just the vehicle to offer gifts and sacrifices to God. They obtained a covering for sin, and it gave them some external cleansing through the ordinances of the mikvah baths, the washings of the food and drinks, of the external and fleshly ordinances. But that was only until a certain point. That was only until the occasion or time that the author of Hebrews here calls Reformation. That word is talking about to straighten something up thoroughly. Rectification. Making it straight. Restoring something to its natural and normal condition. It's interesting because even when Jesus came on the scene, you remember many times he would say, you have heard that it was said of old. And he would quote 
one of the scriptures from the Torah, from the law. And then he would say, but I say to you, and he would deepen that. He would expound on it. He would make it straight so that the right understanding was granted. The right understanding could now be understood. It could be known and experienced. It made it straight. This Reformation time, according to verse 11, is when Christ enters the picture. Oh, Jesus Christ. But Christ, it says, the greater high priest of the good things to come, of the greater tabernacle that is perfect because it's not made with human hands. It's made by the Lord himself. It's made and created and exists in the heavenlies. It's the perfect and greater tabernacle. He came with the greater blood, not of goats and calves. That blood could never atone for anyone's sin. It could never wash away the guilt of sin. But on the day of atonement, those animals, they were only for temporary covering. But rather, he came with his own blood that was shed one time for all. He didn't have to be killed over and over again, and he never will. He died one time, and in that one sacrifice, his blood is enough. Not once a year, not every year, but one time for all. And his blood is enough on that day when he died on Calvary that it has resulted in him obtaining for every person who will believe in him, put their faith and trust in him, believe that his blood is enough to pay the sin debt in full, to pay for yours and my sin. If we will believe in him, he has obtained eternal redemption for us. He has bought us eternally. We simply have to call upon his name and be saved, believe in him, come to him as guilty sinners, ask him to forgive us for our sins and to wash us clean. Believe that his blood is enough to do that and then he will forgive us Write our name in the Lamb's book of life and we will have eternal redemption, which is what he came to give. Notice that the author of Hebrews here in chapter 9 also speaks to us about the greater cleansing. He compares Jesus' blood with the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a red heifer. The ashes of the red heifer were collected and used for the purifying living water that they would use to anoint the tabernacle anoint things with, and it was a purification water. But those things only cleansed the fleshly body. They didn't do anything to wash away the sin and to cleanse the person on the inside. But how much more does the blood of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, when he offered himself to God without spot, perfect and completely sinless, how much more does his blood not only cleanse us from our sins, but it also cleanses and purifies us, buying for us eternal redemption, yes, forgiving our sin, yes, but also cleansing our conscience, cleansing the inside, washing away the guilt and shame of sin, 
That's the power of Jesus' blood. Nothing else can do that. Nothing else. But when you come to Jesus, he can cleanse our conscience. He can cleanse away all the shame and all the guilt from whatever past sins we have committed. Praise God, and he has obtained for us eternal redemption. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, that redemption is the forgiveness of our sins. And he has cleansed us. He has washed us clean. He has obtained eternal redemption for us and cleansed our conscience from dead works, from sin, so that we too can now be clean, holy, and serve the living God, ministering to him and rendering homage to him. Because of this, because of the fact that Jesus is superior, his covenant is superior, his blood is superior, his atonement that he buys for us is superior, the redemption is eternal, not once every year. Because it's superior, because it's the greater, Jesus has now become the mediator of the new covenant. He's the go-between. It's the one that acts between two parties to reconcile them. Or in other words, to restore or make peace between them. He is the one that communicates between the two parties, between the holy God and guilty sinners who will call upon his name and be saved. And he reconciles us back to God. He restores us to God's favor. You see, Moses was the mediator of the first covenant, the Mosaic covenant. But Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. The vehicle used for this was the death of Jesus. Through his death, he brought this reconciliation. Through his death, he brought this peace. I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 2, and I want to read verses 11 through 20. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both, meaning Jew and Gentile, circumcision and uncircumcision, to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity, And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access 
by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. God has reconciled us through his death on the cross. And he has brought peace to us, peace with God. Hallelujah. He has restored us to God's favor. The purpose of his death, the purpose of him being the mediator through the death of Jesus, through his blood, the shedding of his blood, is for the redemption of people. He wanted to buy us back from the slave market of sin. Specifically, even he addresses here and is speaking of the Jews and their failure with the first covenant and its regulations, as well as the Gentiles who were way off and didn't care anything about the Lord to begin with. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. Let's begin the reading in verse 13. No, let's actually begin the reading in verse 12. He's talking about Jesus Christ here, and he says, Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. All of those Ten Commandments, all of those 613 commandments that we could not keep and would never have been able to keep. And according to the author of the book of James, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says it like this. If you break one law, you're guilty of all of it. You could be perfect in everything else, but break one, and you're still guilty before God. We couldn't keep that. There was no way. And so when Jesus went to the cross, he took all of that law and its, its regulations that stood against us, holding over our head the fact that we could never keep them, and they were nailed to his cross. Now, does that mean that we throw out the Old Testament and we don't have anything we need from the Torah? Absolutely not. There are many things that still apply today from the Torah, including the Ten Commandments. We are still to have no other God before the Lord. We are still to honor Him and revere Him. We are still to not make any kind of graven image. We are still to honor our parents. We are still to not lie or steal or covet. Those things still come through and are applicable to us in the New Testament. I have a brief two-lesson series called The Cross is the Filter. And if you want to understand that a lot more, you can check out that series in the archives, The Cross is the Filter. And I go into the details of how to understand the Old Testament now in light of the New. There are things that were fulfilled by Jesus and don't apply anymore. And there are things that do continue to apply. And you need to know how to tell the difference. 
So I just mentioned that to you. If you're interested, you can look that up. But Jesus has bought eternal redemption and washes our sins away. And he has taken out of the way those things that would continually condemn us. You can't keep this. Oh, you lied yesterday. Oh, you did this. Oh, you can't do that. You can't keep this. You're not able to do it. Do you see? When we become saved and Jesus comes to live inside of us and we've received him as our Lord and Savior, he washes those things away. It's his blood. And then he begins by the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us, a work we call sanctification where he is making us holy, where he is helping us learn how to overcome, where he is bringing us free from that dead conscience. No more condemnation. And now we are walking in freedom and he is teaching us how to live a godly life, not through our own effort, but through the power of the Spirit and our cooperating with the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful thing. So beautiful. Hallelujah. And I want to leave us with these final thoughts and verses. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul addresses what it truly means to be the seed of Abraham. And it's all about faith. It's all about believing in Jesus, believing in the promise and the promised one that God has sent. And I want to begin reading in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore no that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Now he goes on, and this is a superior chapter in proving the logic and in proving the argument about faith, believing faith of Abraham and those who are the true sons of Abraham. He goes on and he starts talking about how the law brings a curse. We were just talking about that, those handwriting of requirements that we could never keep. It's constantly condemning us. But it says in this passage, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law because he became the curse for us since one of the commandments was that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He willingly allowed that to happen to him so that he could break us free of those curses from the law. He goes on down and he talks about the law. He talks about how important it was because the promises were made to Abraham and his seed. He was talking about to Christ, the seed, Jesus is the Christ, and that the law was not able to annul the promise that had been given to Abraham 430 years before the law came. So he's teaching that there's not an inheritance that's from the law. We can't keep anything by the law that would please God. God gave it to Abraham by promise. Now I want to pick up the reading in verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. That was Moses in that day. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, 
Truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And then he goes on and he talks about how the law became a guard or a tutor. It became a tutor to lead us to Jesus Christ. The minister of the first covenant was Moses, but none of that covenant could make anyone free of their sin and cleansed in their conscience. No one could be in that time. I want us to look at a few final scriptures as we draw to a close. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, I want to read verses 1 through 4. And Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, those who are here today, all of us who are alive. The Lord talked with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire. I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up the mountain. He said, and then he goes on and he quotes what God had said at that time. So in the first covenant, Moses was the mediator of that. But I want us to see the greater mediator of the greater covenant with the greater promises and the greater atonement and the greater cleansing. I want us to close out by considering this final scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I want to read in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 3 through 5. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men or all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Praise be to God. Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. Praise be to God. He is the only one. He is the only one who can mediate between God and the people. Jesus, in every way, is the greater, the better, and the more superior. And because of his precious blood, we have eternal redemption. We have an inheritance that we will obtain in due season. We have true cleansing and a clean and clear conscience through the washing of his precious blood by the work and power of the Holy Spirit. And it was all accomplished because he's the mediator through the vehicle of his death. Praise be to God. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes as God will provide. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.